Welcome to the latest episode of Encounter Grow Witness, the world's best podcast in the history of podcasts forever and ever and ever. Amen. With the real rock star, Beth Spazarni. Beth, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I am good. I, I always feel like I bring like a morning talk show energy version to this sometimes. Yeah, so, it's great. Uh, <laughs> it's so cheerful and fun. Yeah, it feels, uh, it feels cheerful and fun, but uh, I am cheerful and fun because we have some beautiful weather these days and uh, just grateful for spring finally being here and kind of on the cusp of summer and all the blessings that that brings. So uh, yeah, just I'm really grateful for that. Uh, I live at Sacred Heart Seminary and it's a bit of a sweet spot, I'll say, because outside of my window is a bank of air conditioners for the whole seminary. And so it's the sweet spot of being able to open the windows and the air conditioning's not on yet. So I don't hear that whole noise and I can have the fresh air. So uh, I love this this time of year. Um, anything going on in your life that you're grateful for these days, Beth? Yeah, I finished my grad class for the semester. We yeah. just, I feel like everyone in our, in our house is taking just a deep breath just a deep breath, which we're pretty excited about. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's that's yeah. sweet. Um, yeah. Well, happy well, May. Yes, happy May. And that's really the most important reason that I'm excited. And as you're well aware, and I'm sure all of our listeners are aware, we are celebrating American Cheese Month. American um, Cheese Month. Mm-hmm. Which, as you know, began in 2011, <laughs> which makes this year the 10th anniversary of this. Wow month-long celebration and I for one I'm just devastated I only learned about it today and I've already lost two days of cheese appreciation so I'm gonna make up for it for sure well Beth is is this celebrating cheese in America or the specific kind of artificially variety of cheese called American cheese that is an excellent question and since I've buffed up on my knowledge about cheese much just today I can tell you that it is actually the cheesemakers of America they they want people to know that they don't just make the waxy American cheese okay they do in fact make other cheeses like Velveeta and cottage cheese and things their like branding that. is still working on <laughs> expanding our knowledge of the other kinds of cheeses so the, that Velveeta came to mind second for you probably devastating <laughs> oh. <laughs> nevertheless um do you have a favorite cheese father steve oh i like um yeah i do i like blue cheese blue uh cheese. i think blue cheese is right up there with like bread and just like like marvels of like how we've taken something and turned it into something incredible so the way we do that with liquor uh we take something and like turn it into this incredible drink um (laughs) so it makes me sound like an alcoholic a little bit but i don't mean it to be that way um but the way we take something that uh is not in its normal state and kind of let the aging process uh alter it i think blue cheese is one of the great marvels of uh culinary stuff um of stuff um, i like blue cheese but do you eat it just plain blue cheese no. on a cracker 
Uh, I think I could, but I don't because it's not socially acceptable yet. Well, uh, well, American Cheese Month could change that. We've got a yeah. whole month, Father Steve. Let's get to it. <laughs> Do you have a favorite uh, cheese? Yeah, uh, halloumi is a great kind. It looks like mozzarella, but you can grill it and it doesn't melt. So a lot of vegetarians, which I'm not, eat it because mm. it's sort of a great meat substitute. It's salty and fantastic. Halloumi, it's very expensive though. So Is it H... H-A-L-L-O-U-M-I. Ooh, okay. Halloumi. Halloumi. Yeah. At that your local foods or other fancy Sounds cheese. fantastic. Is there a cheese you don't like? A cheese I don't like? I mean, American cheese. I, I'm a little embarrassed, you know. I went to Germany and they asked me about American cheese. They were like, you really make American cheese? And I, I felt bad, you know. I didn't want to really crap on our cheese, but then at the same time, I, I'm not You didn't want fan. to own it either. I didn't. No, yeah. not... No, not in Munich. Mm-mm. Yeah. You know, there are people who have strong Swiss cheese uh, takes, which I had yeah. not known as a kid. That was just part of the regular cheese repertoire of our family, Swiss <laughs> or <repertoire>. American. <laughs> so it was <laughs> kind of a... <laughs> wax poetic here. What about cottage cheese, Father Steve? Do you think cottage cheese is a cheese? I don't know. You're going to have to take a stand because I have a strong opinion here. (laughs) I am going to say yes. Cottage cheese is in the cheese family. Well, you're very wrong. And I'm I'm embarrassed for you. (laughs) Do you? Ron is telling us, our our awesome producer, Ron is telling us absolutely not. That it's not a cheese. (laughs) It's not. it, It just, it doesn't resemble cheese. It's not, it doesn't behave like any other cheese. I don't, I don't think so. If it showed up for the reunion, the rest of the cheeses, I don't think so. Wow. Wow. We are, uh, we're canceling cottage cheese here. (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) Um, You know, one of my favorite cheese stories, if we can have cheese stories, um, I had a friend uh, when I entered seminary, a guy I met was a seminarian from Madison, Wisconsin, and he introduced me to the wonderful world of cheese curds, which um, were phenomenal. I mean, deep frying anything usually makes it phenomenal, but cheese curds were this whole new world to me. And um, yeah. Yeah. Would you you fry cottage cheese? Do you think that would be a good time? Um, yeah, you love cottage cheese. So. <laughs> I don't know if I said I love cottage cheese. <laughs> well, you may like, as well have said it. You didn't have to say it. <laughs> I don't. I'm getting the the rap here of being uh, the cottage cheese apologist. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know enough about it. Like, is it actually not cheese? Is it this in between dairy product? I don't know. I mean, you you should make a case that cheese is in the title. Yeah. that's noteworthy. Yeah, but. Well, is it more or less cheese than Velveeta or like movie oh, theater nacho squirt That's cheese? also a very, very good argument. Yeah, if Velveeta is claiming to be cheese, I don't know. I don't know, it gets a little fuzzy. Maybe we should move on to something more clear like virtue. <laughs> uh, well, let's end this cheesy conversation and talk oh. about virtue. Oh, I just did that for the so for, for the apology you would make to the audience there. Beth. Yes, great. Um, but we were talking about topics for this month and I, I think we both agreed on this being a, uh, uh, being a good topic. So uh, we're talking about virtues, right? Virtues, yes. Yes, virtues and virtues for today. Like in this moment that we find ourselves in, what are the virtues that we sense God calling out of us and out of the church? Yeah. 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 I think of this and I think I shared with you, like this has been a book rumbling around in my mind at some point to unite these ideas of 
what does it mean to be a joyful missionary disciple, which we in Detroit are really kind of taking on as the call that uh, Pope Francis has given us, and I think is very consonant with Pope Benedict, John Paul, Paul VI, kind of this mm -hmm. whole trajectory of evangelization, the new evangelization. Um, what does it mean to be a joyful missionary disciple? And then also realizing that we're living in a, in a time that presents a unique set of challenges and that, um, you know, there's this wonderful little book called From Christendom to Apostolic Age. Mm -hmm. I, I think we've both yeah, read it. And, it's great. Yeah. And it talks about this paradigm shift that we're not in a society that um, rewards or holds up uh, Christian ethos uh, right. and, and way of life. Uh, so there's a way right now that particular virtues are needed that maybe a generation ago weren't as important. Not that they're, you know, like, like, like they were bad, but they just weren't especially relevant needed. or needed for, yeah. for that moment. So, yeah. um, so I love how you yeah. frame this because we were able to talk a little bit about it and you framed it. Okay. Let, how do we live out the cardinal virtues, yeah. the, uh, um, the four prudence, justice, courage, and temperance. And then how do we live out the, the theological virtues of faith, hope, yeah. and charity? Um, so why don't we just kind of dive in and talk about these and see um, kind of our own thoughts on each of these, uh, what's needed here and now. Any, anything else in yeah. the introduction here, Beth, before we jump no, in? No, I, I think that sounds good. Yeah, I think that sounds good. I, um, you know, I was just thinking about each of, each of these different virtues and really taking a look at, well, how does the catechism define these? And then, and then like looking at that and kind of listening with the Holy Spirit, what is needed. So, I mean, just taking prudence, right? Prudence disposes the practical reasons. I'm quoting here. This isn't my everyday <laughs> speak <laughs> from the catechism. Prudence disposes the practical reason to discern in every circumstance our true good and to choose the right means for achieving it. So yeah. what came to mind for you when you were thinking about prudence? What, what well, we, we talked need? about it and I have the same yeah. one as you. So I oh, want well, you great. to leave because, because uh, I kind of ripped off your idea here because I liked it so much. Oh, so yeah. I know you talked about flexibility yeah. as being so important right now. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, I think flexibility, we just need it. There was a great article um, on Detroit Catholic that quoted uh, Matthew Mannion, who's um, a director for the Center for Church Management at Villanova University. Anyway, he said Ooh. this quote that's still, it's still echoing around my mind. He said, we are built for a church that no longer exists. Yeah. And I just think like the, the wave, the, like if that's a rock and you throw it in the lake, the ripples of that statement are pretty far reaching. If we are built for a church that no longer exists, then we are probably doing things that are no longer having the fruit that we would expect them to have. Yeah. And we were probably trained to do things that it's not helpful to kind of just continue down that path. Um, so I think flexibility is so important. You know, it's not exactly the same, but uh, Unleash the Gospel talks about um, a spirit of innovation. And I, I think about this kind of in the same, yeah, me too. Um, in the same bucket of yeah. flexibility that, you know, a lot of the things we've learned or the great practices, maybe we look, look back on when we grew up or things that affected us or future generations that were successful might not be the most successful things yeah. for mission these days. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I've gotten to spend a good chunk of this year uh, doing some campus ministry on Wayne State and mm -hmm. uh, U of M Dearborn as we're in a transition there. 
And uh, Beth, there's so much terminology that I don't know <laughs> for <laughs> college age students. And uh, it's just funny, both the tools they use to communicate uh, have been new to me, as well as kind of the language and, and some of the yeah, some of the interactions. It's been a, a big learning curve. And I know for me, it's it's made me need to be flexible in how mm -hmm. I share the gospel with them or even just kind of build relationship with them. Yeah, I'm sure. I remember feeling that same way in youth ministry. <clears throat> I kept thinking, oh, let me build this and then I can use it again. And I just found I could never use something again because a year later, the teens are completely different. Yeah. And two years later, they're like, I mean, a general, I mean, there's just the differences are huge. So what would it take for us to be generous and looking at new methods and being brave and innovative and flexible? Yeah. I think that could be the prudence we need. And what I like about flexibility is it's kind of innovation in the moment too. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I think of innovation as a, like a lab. I go off to the lab and I come up with a new idea or, mm -hmm. you know, like Elon Musk is the one I think mm -hmm. of. You know, some people can't stand him, but sure. I think there's so many things he, he has done or so many approaches he has brought that's um, just kind of a totally different way of thinking about things. Um, but flexibility is in the moment, right? Like this isn't working here and now, what do I need to shift or change? Um, and I have to obviously have my feet firmly rooted in the church and her tradition, capital T, knowing scripture, as we've talked about before, in order to be flexible in the, in the areas where it's going to be important to do that. Yeah, yeah well said. So prudence, we both agree. Flexibility. Flexibility. Uh, um, justice, I ripped off yours again. I'm not going to do it for all of them, but these first two I liked <laughs> so much that yeah. uh, I'm just going to rip off yours and uh, we'll yeah. talk about it together. So justice, you talked about a willingness to speak about Jesus. Yeah, I think it's a matter of justice. And I think a lot of times we don't think of evangelization, <clears throat> excuse me, as a matter of justice, but I think people have a right. People have a right to hear. They have a right to know about who they are and what Christ did for them, they have a right to know. I, I'm sure people have heard it, but the um, Penn Gillette, the magician is an atheist. And he said, famously, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytize. He says, I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it could make it so socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He says, I mean, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I would tackle you. And he says, this is more important than that. Mm. He's an atheist, right? Yeah. It's a matter of justice. People have a right to hear. <laughs> and Pope Francis has talked about the difference between proselytizing and evangelizing that, you know, there, there's a way both in our respect for the human person, as well as what we know is most effective, to do it in a winsome way, a convincing way, a way that's not just, you know, beating people over the head. And I think the Holy Father talks about that. And, you know, when he talks about not proselytizing, he means not in a way that either conscripts someone's freedom, or mm -hmm. in a way that um, kind of is, uh, it just wouldn't be winsome, right? Is uh, is too heavy-handed, and and we know that's not effective in uh, in our ultimate goal of winning the heart. Yep. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I've been preaching recently on the Ten Commandments uh, in uh, just a, a preaching series I've been doing where mm -hmm. where I help out, and uh, I was 
you know, reading the catechism on the seventh commandment about um, you shall not steal. I know my <laughs> commandments. I wasn't going to test you, Beth, on that. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> but I knew you knew it anyway. Um, and there's a concept in there about the universal destination of goods, that God made all the goods of the earth for everyone, right? And that we have a right to private property, but that private property shouldn't constrict other people's rights to have what they need, not just for basic survival, but for the flourishing of the whole world. I think about that with the gospel too, that the gospel has been given to certain individuals in a particular way, whether they're bishops or priests or, or lay people, but people who have been given the gospel in a way that really wins their heart over. And it's not just meant for their private property to run off somewhere and keep it to themselves, but it's meant to be kind of the universal destination of the gospel, that we should share that with everyone and that we are stewards of that message. And, you know, the responsibility is not just that I keep it intact in my own life, but that I'm willing to generously share it with others. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. I was doing an alpha and one of the questions that came up on the why and how should I tell others session was, um, if you didn't know anything about Jesus, how would you want to be told? And it was always fascinating to hear people's responses to that question because we had people who truly didn't know anything about Jesus and it just come to this thing because someone invited them. And, yeah. um, and one of the women said, like, I think something like this, like, you're my friends. I can say anything. Um, you're just proposing things to me and I can accept them or reject them. And there's no pressure. And our friendship isn't, doesn't hinge on my response to this. Um, but you're sharing it with me because you think it's important, you know? Yeah, that's great. Uh, Let's go on to courage. And in this, I have my own thought. I have not just taken yours. <laughs> Great, because uh, my, my thought own. was pretty short. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll lead on this. Great, uh, for, for courage, um, maybe a little bit like you talked about injustice, but I think uh, one of the virtues we need is a willingness to engage in hard conversations. Mm. There are, are a number of aspects in the Catholic Church. Some of these are the moral teachings we propose, like the teaching about mm -hmm. human sexuality, yeah. um, that is often met with really opposed ears in our society. And we can tend to shy away from that. I don't think that's the place to lead all the time, but being willing to engage in those conversations in a way that respects other people where they're coming from, but also with a confidence in the gospel. Um, I think about that also with the faults and the brokenness of the church, uh, oh. certainly the clergy abuse scandal, also like disappointments people have had in the church or questions mm -hmm. that they ask, uh, just being willing to enter into those conversations and not know like the perfect answer yeah. to give, right? Like there's so there's more questions than we have a discrete answer to because the answer is always in the heart of Jesus. So um, I think it takes the virtue of courage or fortitude to, to say, no, I'm gonna go there without you know, this perfect assurance on my end that I have the satisfactory answer, but with confidence that, um, that Jesus and his church provide the truth and, and um, the path for human flourishing. So I think the willingness to engage in hard conversations is like the virtue it. we need there. Yeah, I like it. Definitely sounds like healthy conflict, but not just conflict, just having healthy conversations and being willing to, to listen and share. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I think for me, when I thought of fortitude, I thought just bravery to live differently in the midst of indifference and hostility. We have a, we bought our house and just the way we kind of I came to shrine and all of this sort of was a, you know, just a graced thing, right? The Lord's movement. And we closed on our house, which we didn't even know if we would find a house on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. 
which was just a special, we already had a devotion to the Sacred Heart. And so yeah. it's just really special. So we have a statue of Jesus in the Sacred Heart on our front yard, um, in our in our garden. And just seeing you know, the neighbors kind of, they're like, hmm. And we always have just hundreds of, not hundreds, so many kids from our neighbors just hang around in our yard and playing. And we've got a swing and all of that. And sometimes yeah. I just the other day, I caught one of the neighbor girls kind of looking at it, just kind of with her head to the side, like, what is that? <laughs> what is that? And why is it in our garden? And I just thought like, you know, bravery to live differently, you know, and, and, and maybe one day there'll be a chance for a conversation, you know, um, yeah. with her mom or whatever. So. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, when you talk about neighbors and friendships and, and relationships like that, I mean, it, it really is that willingness to be a little bit different that can yeah. spark the conversation or the question and can open the door that allows people time to say, I know there's something different here. Now I'm ready to, to ask about it. Yeah. Um, so that's a great example. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Beth brings the mm. uh, expertise on the definitions of all these uh, yes. virtues, and we've skipped justice and courage, but give yes. us the definition for temperance. Temperance, as we yes. To that. So the catechism tells us temperance moderates the attraction of the pleasures of the senses and provides balance in the use of created goods. Fancy, fancy, fancy. definition. Yeah. Um, so temperance tells us to not become too attracted or too accustomed to the goods of this world, but to use yeah. them in moderation. Yeah. Um, so I think the virtue here for me is, is childlike trust, which on the one hand, you're like, how does that belong to temperance? To me, it belongs to temperance because I think I had listened to this just profound talk that still also echoes in my mind about how as, as Christians and as Catholics, we can't fall into the habit of numbing out and medicating our sorrows or medicating our stress with food or TV or alcohol or yeah. whatever it is, right? Um, so for me, I think the key to temperance today is to just my discernment is childlike trust and bringing our wounds to Jesus, bringing the sorrows of the day. Um, you know, when my kids were babies, I, my, baby, my toddlers would crawl around the floor and pick anything up and bring it to me. One time I, my daughter brought me a nail. Another time I was brought a live <laughs> bug and most of the time it's just carpet fuzz. So I just kind of take it and they leave, you know, but one time my daughter was waiting expectantly, like, aren't you going to look at it? And I opened it up and it was a spider crawling around my hand. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> it's horrible. Right. But Jesus is happy when we bring him those yucky spiders and carpet fuzz and nails and whatever it is. Right. We bring those things, bring the wounds to the healer and then he can heal it. And then we can appreciate the beauty of the world and not, not numb out. In that yeah. So. Yeah. Oftentimes obedience or trust, in the world's eyes get seen as a weakness or a um yeah i mean you're using the term numbing out a cop out from uh you know from dealing with with the challenges we have but i think the christian life is so much about kind of that that trust that implicit trust in god in his plan yeah. and that every part of my life brought to him is made better now, often yes. it's made harder um, <laughs> because it's not what I want to do, right? I, yeah. I want to go off on my own, but it's made better because it's kind of purified through the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus and the will of the Father. Um, and so, you know, that, that trust to bring every desire we have and every part of our life to lay it before him is beautiful. Yeah. Um, for, for this one, I, you know, my mind went to social media, which, um, you know, I'll just say for me, 2020 was such a corrupting time for social media. 
I think, you know, um, whether it was the coronavirus, the vaccine, the political climate, the issues around racism and, yeah. and all that part, like, I, I just feel like so many people um, got in, uh, in a way, and I found myself doing this too, got in a way where um, th there was this both um, the, the content and the style of dialogue is, is a real problem um, because either I'm being reinforced or I'm, or I'm just getting things that yeah. upset me, right? I'm not like <laughs> seeing the other person yeah. um, or it just becomes all encompassing. And I spend way too much time living in this um, facsimile of the real world, yeah. right? Like it's not totally yeah. fake, but it's, it's like, it's seeing the world through this lens that really corrupts my ability to um, engage in real issues, see the other person with whom I disagree with um, yeah. as, as someone that Jesus has died for and who yeah. might have ways that open my eyes or, yeah. or I may still disagree with them, but at least I'm disagreeing with a person and not mm -hmm. a, you know, an icon or, or uh, not icon like religious, but, you know, icon on a screen, right. um, an avatar. Uh, so I think the way Christians, Catholics use social media um, is, is so important, both not just like what they consume, the kind of stuff they consume um, and how they engage in it. I mean, th those are two yeah. huge parts. What am I reading? What am I thinking about? What am I watching? And then how yeah. am I engaging in that? Um, but also the amount of time and energy we spend in that world. And I just know it can be such a rabbit hole, like, oh, I'm going to go do this yeah. for good, or I'm going to spend this amount of time. And then, man, it just blows past that. Yeah. Um, and I've talked to so many people who, you know, 2020 was a real, um, a year where that became a great challenge. And so many people opted out of it, probably yeah. for good. Um, but others, you know, just found themselves caught in whatever the controversy was. Um, um, in, in a way that was not building up the Christian life. So I think the virtue we need for this time around social or around temperance is mm -hmm. a moderate use of social media and, and seeing it as a means for connecting with people um, yeah. and, and not a means of just kind of reinforcing something I think or, um, or, or a way for me to get upset <laughs> to read about the awful things other people have done. Um, so yeah, well said. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So so these are yeah. the four cardinal, cardinal virtues. virtues. Yeah. Um, the church talks about them as cardinal virtues, if I remember this right. Like I said, Beth brings the the book knowledge. I just bring this yeah, energy right. that's undirected. <laughs> yeah, um, right. But if I remember it right, cardinal virtues, it comes from like the hinge, the concept of cardinal is hinge, uh, the Latin word for hinge. And like, these are the virtues on which everything else in our, in our natural uh, order uh, are hinged on. And so that's why these are held up as um, the four kind of hinge virtues that help us live out the rest of our, our naturally ordered life. Yeah. I get that right, Beth? I think that sounds great. Yeah. Is that a, a yeah. B plus answer or a B answer? <laughs> well, you know, we don't want to be too much the great inflation. So great yeah. inflation. Maybe, big maybe problem a C, in our world. Hard yeah. to say. Huge, huge problem. Yeah. <laughs>
all right um so what have you got on the theological virtues then yeah so so we're going to transition to theological virtues which are poured into us through um sacramental grace Uh, so when we're baptized god just freely gives us these virtues of faith hope and charity um because we're so great because we're awesome because we deserve them Mm. no Mm -hmm. because god loves us and in this is love that Jesus died for us and claimed us. Um, so uh, God gives this to us freely. They're not things we earn um, and we can cooperate with them and help them to grow, but they're theological virtues because they're given to us. And in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter to the Corinthians, he talks about these as you know, faith, hope, and charity, faith, hope, and love are the three things that will endure um, yeah. because they're the kind of foundational theological virtues. Um, So let's talk about those and the aspects of those we need. Yeah. Oh, I I love how Ron enjoys my over the top uh, voices here. So uh, it's fun doing this by Zoom. We get to watch Ron's reactions as he he produces this. So uh, awesome. Okay, let's dive in. Uh, Faith, Um, yeah, I'll go first on this. for faith, I put, uh, so do you have a definition for faith? I do. Yes. By faith, we believe in God and believe all that he has revealed to us and that the Holy Church proposes for our belief. Yeah. So I think of faith as looking back what God has done and building my life upon that foundation of what that. God has done, what Jesus has done. So for me, what we need in faith is a belief in the whole gospel, that the gospel shapes my life that I don't pick and choose it, that I don't construct it on my own or kind of leave off the parts that become a challenge, either for me personally or societally. Um, I think the the virtue we need in faith here is a confidence in the whole gospel fitting together and that taking Jesus and everything he teaches, and as Catholics, we know and believe he teaches authoritatively in and through his church. So to believe Jesus is also to have confidence in his bride and in his body, the church, um, to believe that all of that holds together as the path for salvation. Um, I think there can be a real challenge. I see it in my life to say, wow, this is not so important. Or or maybe, you know, the famous line, when did Jesus ever say X, Y, <laughs> or Z? Um, instead of knowing like, no, the church has taught from time immemorial, from the apostolic age, these truths, because the gospel fits together as a whole way of life in a way that directs us to God. So I think the virtue of uh, around faith we need is a belief and a confidence in the totality of the gospel and for the gospel to shape my life instead of me wanting to shape the gospel to fit my own life. That's big. That's good. Yeah. For me, I I think yours is better than mine. Uh, Oh, come on. (laughs) What I like is the idea of um, uh, confidence in the Holy Spirit and expectancy in what God is doing and how we're still a part of God's work. God is still moving and working today. And uh, I was able to spend the summer in Istanbul, Turkey, as a missionary and I just remember sitting there we would pray and then we would go talk to people and I remember sitting there on the stone wall overlooking the whole city and there was you know the call to prayer went out the Muslim call to prayer and there's all these mosques everywhere and the call to prayer goes off and I just remember thinking like Lord how could how could people ever come to know you like there's just if there's just so few Christians here how could they come to know uh and the verse that I kind of settled on or sensed was um from Habakkuk which is a an underused book in the Bible Habakkuk one yeah. five 
Look over the nations and see and be utterly amazed for a work is being done in your days that you would not believe were it told. To me, just the idea that the Holy Spirit is moving today and we are just a little part of the wave of his work, you know, and so we can be carried along and sometimes there's a part for us to play and sometimes there's not, but to have that confidence that he is still moving and that the story is still spreading. I think that's what I think we need, just greater confidence in, in the Holy Spirit's work today. Amen. That's beautiful. Um, and I think you're connecting it to prayer and yeah. to, you know, when you talked about your own mission that you would pray and then go out, yeah. obviously that's what Jesus does with his disciples. You see that in the gospel of Mark, he calls his uh, apostles to be with him, to be with him. So to be united with Jesus, we do that in prayer now, and then to be sent out. Um, I was reading the, uh, the book of Jonah, uh, during yeah. Lent a little bit. And, um, you know, it struck me Jonah is such a, such a funny prophet um, yeah. because God calls him. So he has this very clear mission of what he should be doing. God calls him to do it and he doesn't want to do it. He runs yeah. away and all this yeah. stuff happens in his life. Um, and then he actually goes to preach to the city of Nineveh, yeah. but he goes with like this total lack of expectancy that God's oh, going yeah. to do something. Yeah. So then after a day of him preaching, when the king and, you know, says, no, we need to repent. Yeah. Jonah is upset. He's like, yeah. what? I thought we were bringing fire and brimstone <laughs> on Nineveh and they're, they're converting. Like he didn't have an expectancy that being obedient to God and following God's plan and proclaiming where and when God called him to proclaim this this call of repentance. And for us, it's repentance and believe in the gospel. Um, he didn't have this expectancy that God would work. Um, and, and it kind of like surprised him. And I think that's, that's a, a great challenge to me at times to say, no, like when God is asking you to do something, you should expect him to like, to bring it about, right. Maybe not in the way or in the, to the degree we want, but yeah. if we listen to God and we're, you know, this is where he's leading us. We should expect that he's actually going to do it. Yeah. Um, we should hope that he does it as well. And let's, so, so let's talk about hope. Tell hope. us what hope is and then tell us how yeah. you think uh, the virtue of hope can, should be lived out now. Yeah. Yeah. By hope we desire and with steadfast trust await from God eternal life and the graces to merit it. Catechism 1843. I think 1843. for me, what I, 1843, that's right. I think we need um, today with hope, I think to dwell on the good. Um, I, you know, most of the interesting bits of my life were overseas. So I was in Calcutta for a while working with Mother Teresa sisters and I remember doing this hospital dispensary. And so people would come and they would give medicine and I couldn't understand a thing that was happening. It was all in Bengali. And, um, you know, it looked like the sisters would be arguing with the men who would come and then they would all start laughing. I was just like, I don't think I understand what's happening here, but it was very sweet. Anyway, everyone left and the sisters we were packing up and they just were so quiet. They were always quiet. This is why I was, I was, and I was always trying to chat with them, you know, like, tell me something, inspire me, give me something because you know so much. And a sister just laughed. She's like, oh no, I can't talk. I can't talk. I need silence. I'm always thinking of heaven. Always. I'm always thinking of heaven. I can't talk about this world. I don't care. I just, I'm always thinking of heaven. She's like, I'm not here. I look like I'm here, but I'm not here. And wow. I just thought it was such a profound, beautiful thing for the sister to share with me. And so, you know, I think also Philippians 4, 8, right? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. things. Not think about what's on your, what's trending, not think about what people are talking about, not think about the latest controversy, 
think about what is good, what is true, what is beautiful, what is pure. Are we thinking about those things? How can we think about those things? Because otherwise we'll be just as anxious as everyone else is. Yeah. And our Lord says that in the gospel when he says, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles. It's what comes from the inside that comes out that defiles us, right? Like what we think about shapes our words, our actions, our attitudes, our interactions. And so I think that's such profound advice from, from uh, St. Paul that you're making your own for our day and age is yep. to dwell on the good things and to make sure we are kind of nourishing our spiritual life on those good things so that our actions, our words, um, and um, our life is reflected in that. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Pope? What have we got? Uh, what do yeah. We need? I, for, for me, I think it's, uh, when I think of hope, I think of looking at the examples of other people around us, the saints, small us, around us that give me a ton of hope. So witness stories are so crucial. And like, you're, you're great at this, telling kind of stories from Alpha or other people who've encountered the Lord. Um, I think that is such hopeful news because the more we move from Christendom, this kind of structure around Christianity to an apostolic age where societally we're going to be in opposition with yeah. most people, we need to find our brothers and sisters who are really living out the gospel in an inspiring way. You know, hope directs our attention to heaven. It directs our attention to this other world, like that sister you shared talked about. Yeah. Um, so for me, the virtue of hope really is lived out by saying, who are the saints in my life who are calling me to be better than I am right now? The people who are just kicking butt, and I'll just, I won't use a more graphic expression, kicking butt right now yeah. at following Jesus. And the people I look um, at and say, I want to be like her. I want to be like him. I want to have that person's, yeah. you know, not in an envious way or no. in a self-loathing way, but to say like, no, they have something that's really attractive that helps me, you know, see that God is working in this world and that my response to him um, can bring forth fruit. Uh, I, I think that is such a such a needed virtue right now. So to hold up people who are who are doing well, knowing that everyone's imperfect, right? Yeah. I and mean, we can kind of deify someone in a way that makes even their slightest fault then like crumble all of our confidence in that. We don't want to do that, but we want to say, no, like God's really working in that area. And, uh, and that's a beautiful thing. So uh, I think finding the saints among us is the, the virtue of hope we need. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Charity. Um, charity, caritas, as, uh, as we say in Latin. Um, I don't know if that's true. Uh, yeah. The, no, that's caritas. Yeah. Uh, what is, what is charity? What is this virtue, Beth? Uh, by charity, we love God above all things and our neighbor as ourselves for love of God. Charity, uh, catechism, 1861, 44. 44. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. Am I leading off or are you? Uh, sure. I can try. Um, I think for charity, I, I had a whole bunch of ideas here. Uh, it's hard to come up with something better than just charity, but, um, I think specifically what we need now is just deeper intimacy with God. And I think partly that means, um, letting God love us and responding with worship and gratitude. And I think partly it means maybe being a little more vulnerable and open with the people around us about our relationship with God, because I think there's just so many Catholics and Christians and people in the world altogether who don't know that, that an intimate relationship with God is possible. And I think those who know have a duty to share it. 
so that other people can know that that's possible and normative. I had a good friend who was a deacon who said, you know, relationship, like we have a relationship with God. He's like, absolutely. But I have a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know Mm. that. I don't know. Like, is that, is that part of it? Is that part of our tradition? And I was like, oh, yes, yes, it's part of it. So I think we need to lean into that deeper intimacy with God because it's not going to get easier, right? Yeah. I mean, people don't love us now necessarily. (laughs) I mean, and we, we've seemed to find quite enough to squabble about among ourselves. So perhaps if we, if we had greater intimacy with God and we were really letting him love us and sharing that with other people, surely that would help us to love one another more too. Yeah. I find intimacy with God this weird paradox when I, when I do it well in my life of um, greater acceptance of myself with my faults, but also greater humility uh, about myself. So I take myself less seriously and like just real, I see my own faults and that God loves me despite of that, you know, uh, in spite of that or whatever the right way to say that is God loves me knowing my faults. Yeah. Um, And so it makes me more patient with other people, right? So I see myself as like, not this, you know, kind of having figured it out person that then is like, why can't the rest of you get here? Um, But I also, I also realize that, you know, God is really working. um, Yeah, yeah, that that God is transforming me. And so it it gives me both greater humility about myself and greater, um, greater realization of, um, of, you know, what God desires for me and, and trust in him. So I love that. I love it. Intimacy with God. I went in the opposite direction. So you went kind of high gospel of John on us there. (laughs) (laughs) I went kind of, uh, you know, uh, I'm not going to pick on any other gospel, but I went, uh, the way this gets lived out in my mind is sacrificial love especially for non-believers. So being willing. Yeah. So just being willing to be inconvenienced. I am like the least patient person I know. Um, And so the being, being inconvenienced by people um, who don't know Jesus and the way we can live this out in the apostolic age is by this radical sacrificial love for people who who don't believe in the Lord. Um, yeah. you know, one of the great blessings of ministry has been for me as a priest is seeing um, it, it's just, it's changed my mindset about people. And in one way is, you know, people share an intimate part of their life with you when you, as a priest, and I'm sure this happens to you too, Beth. Um, yeah. But so, so they open up hurts and challenges and difficulties they have. Um, but then you also see people in the, in the same vein who have lots of walls up and who mm. make it harder for them to be loved, I think, right? Mm. They can be short-tempered with you or they can be kind of dismissive. And, but, so to see like the way those fit together, that people have a brokenness or a challenge in their life and that that can manifest itself in a, in a barrier they put up. Mm-hmm. To love people sacrificially, like to put up with with a, a snide comment or yeah. a dismissive remark or or a rude action, um, to kind of over overlook that or to push through for that, mm-hmm. I think is is a way we can witness to the transforming power of the gospel in our mm-hmm. lives, and the way it's um, meant to be a gift we pour into other people's mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. 
Oh, I had one last fast, fast thought about yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What about loving this world for God's sake? I was reading about... Um, I like about, that one a lot. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I've been reading about uh, biblical interpretation and how all these atheist materialists came to interpret the Bible, only looking at it as like, not even a history, just like an artifact. Right. Yeah. And I was thinking, is it possible just looking at where we are today, that atheist materialists who like just secularists today, is yeah. it possible that people today who aren't believers have more reverence for creation than we do? But, hmm. but like, do we receive this world as a gift from our, from our father in heaven. And then how do we take care of this world as a gift from our father in heaven? I just thought that was a fascinating thing, especially because that sings with the culture, right? People are singing that song already. Is there a way for us to sing that song as well? And in much with much more profundity, of course, because it's a gift. I, I think Gaudium et Spes tries to talk about that a little bit. I think the back half of Gaudium et Spes, the second half, tries to talk about that with the idea that when we live for the world to come, we don't have less concern for the things of this world. And that doesn't always get manifested in, in how we live. Um, yeah. And uh, so I think there's a, there's a lot of truth to that, um, yeah. that that can be winsome. I yeah. really like that, that adjective. That's a good word. Way. Yeah, um, and it feels kind of old-fashioned-y, so I feel smarter saying it. Um, that it can be winsome for people, like you're saying, who you know who care about this created world um, in a way that uh, you know we can we can leverage that that what we have in common and kind of unite it to something greater. Um, Absolutely. Um, some mailbag questions yeah. uh, around uh, these topics. Um, so the first one would be, what helps you grow in virtue? If, if you're trying to grow in virtue, so you can take any of these, but what, what helps you to grow in, in a virtue? How, how do we get better at these things? Mm. I can take a stab at it to begin with. Go ahead, yeah. Um, you know, the, this is a little bit of an irreverent way of saying it, but hey, that's that's the fun of being on a podcast. Yeah. Um, I think faking it is a good way <laughs> to do it. Like, yeah. you know, so like I need to grow in patience, right? Yeah. And so when I am in a situation when it's very clear that I am losing my patience, pretending to be patient and maybe pretending is a little not the right way to say it, but it, it's an irreverent way of saying it, like exercising that virtue by saying I'm not patient interiorly right now, but I'm going to force myself not to demonstrate this or to act out on, on the vice of impatience um, will, will help me do that. And so, you know, just taking one of these uh, for my end on um, the sacrificial love of non-believers, even when I want to snap back at someone or even when I have other things to do and I want to get on with that to kind of force myself to pour into someone who, yeah. um, you know, doesn't look like they're maybe want to receive it. Yeah. Uh, I, I think is one way I can, I can grow in some of these virtues. Yeah. Any I think that's thought? great. I think asking God for help, um, in the moment when I'm confronted with my, <laughs> the end of myself, if you will, yeah. <laughs> I've come to the end of myself and yet more is required. <laughs> um, asking the Holy Spirit for help. And then I think, uh, yeah, I mean, similar, like just trying, you know, it's like, as to, when I try, then the grace comes, the grace doesn't come before I try, <laughs> it comes after I begin trying, um, and cooperate with that grace. Um, yeah, I think that's what comes to me. Just just trying. And I think also maybe it's overwhelming because we're talking about so many, 
But I think I would just say like, is there one of these that stands out and then focus on it, you know, take one week for one virtue and, and look for opportunities to use it. Yeah. I know some people find like, there's a monk manual that I have, I haven't used yet. Some people find like journaling or calendaring some of this mm-hmm. stuff to be really helpful. Virtues yeah. are habits. And whenever you're trying to get into a, a new habit, um, whether that's, you know, physically, intellectually, spiritually, mm-hmm. sometimes just kind of the accountability of journaling and tracking can be very helpful. Um, yeah. St. Ignatius talked about that in his own kind of, um, spiritual exercises uh, to kind of journal like, okay, what happened in my prayer these days? I think it can be really helpful when we're trying to grow in virtue to say, okay, how, where did I succeed or where did I fail today? If you're really intentional and if you're kind of one of these, uh, like a type A personality who really <laughs> likes to track this and grow. If you're scrupulous, I don't recommend that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Not particularly, unless you want a full confession line again, <laughs> then, then please, by all means. I think also looking at the lives of the saints, you know, when you read the lives of the saints, it's like drinking such clear water that Mm. you realize, oh, okay, that's what this virtue looks like. (laughs) I thought it was just, you know, look, what everyone around me looks like, you know, not, not believers, but just in our world, right? Like we, we have these virtues that we celebrate and hold up secularly and just in our culture. And I think reading the lives of the saints is such a, it's just like a breath of fresh air, I think, to see, oh, look what's possible. Look what's possible when we cooperate with the Holy Spirit and ask for him to help us. One last question of the mailbag. Um, Beth, do you have any favorite devotion in the church? Is there any favorite devotion, either of a saint or a prayer? Or I really like the Divine Mercy Chaplet. I really like it. I, for some because reason, I just- Because it's short. Yeah, well, that helps. <laughs> it helps. <laughs> it helps. No, I, I just really love that prayer. Last year for Lent, um, at the beginning of 2020, I, I was like, you know what? I want to pray the Divine Mercy Chaplet every day for Lent. That's what I want to do. And so I began doing it. And certainly the the, the pandemic, it felt even more important to keep praying um, through the pandemic and asking the Lord for his mercy in our world. And um, just Lord have mercy. I just, it was such a beautiful way. I, I think for me, that prayer helps me really feel like I'm doing something helpful for the world when I ask for the Lord's mercy, when I ask for um, his help and him to move in our world. So that's a particular favorite of mine. Um, how about you? Any favorite devotions? Uh, I long, longer devotions than that. But <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> no, well, you are no. so much holier than I am. So I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, you know, I, I really love the saints. And so like reading the lives of the saints is a great uh, devotion for me and you know w- w- we're kind of going in different areas here so um you know n- not to juxtapose any of them but my vocation really grew out of eucharistic adoration so i think being in eucharistic adoration for me is kind of the most important devotion and in some ways that's like the capstone devotion because yeah. it's you know, it's our Lord Christ truly himself. present there. Yeah, yeah. it's a pretty good um, one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I think Eucharistic devotion is yeah. um, central to my own life and uh, so important for, for me. So mm. before we wrap up, can I, let's do a little cheese trivia question, Beth. Oh boy. All I right. have the most popular you cheeses in four <laughs> different countries. And I'm going to ask you to name what is the most popular cheese in these four different countries. All right. You ready? Oh, of course I'm ready. Yeah. Beth, what is the most popular cheese in the country of Greece? Uh, Greece, uh, feta. Feta. Exactly. Yeah, I got it. All right. Exactly. Great. Give me another one. Beth, what is the most popular cheese in the country of France? 
France. Brie? I don't know. Brie is second. The first one I've never heard of. Uh, Camembert. Camembert. Uh -huh. Camembert. <laughs> yeah. I think yes. I should get like at least more than half credit for not only naming the second, but pronouncing the first one correct. Yeah. My I bad mean, French <laughs> in, in relation to me, you get like 90% of the credit for this. So, <laughs> so well done. Cam Camembert. Camembert. Camembert is the most popular like cheese in France. All right. Third of four. Beth, what is the most popular cheese in the United Kingdom? The United Kingdom. Boy. I don't know cheese on any of their cuisine. Uh, boy, I don't know. Cheddar? Ding, Cheddar. ding, ding. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. That's awesome. Fantastic. I would not have gotten that. I was going to say it's always better with and then yeah. to lead you on, but she didn't but even I'm trying that. to think of English food and I don't see cheese on much of it, but obviously we have a cheese problem, perhaps. Yeah, right. I, I, <laughs> I don't know of any English food. I mean, it's not really a, a part of the chips. world known for their delicious cuisine. Yeah, well, so. let's not offend any of our good listeners, <laughs> you know, the world over. <laughs> right, okay. I mean, okay. England does many, many good things. <laughs> Cuisine is not one of them, right? And welcoming uh, Father Steve Bullis is probably not one of them either. Yeah, that's okay. All right, last and yeah. most, um, yeah, most recent question, because yeah. it's the last. What yeah. is the most popular cheese in the United States of America? The United States. Um, I want to argue now and say, well, what, is, what do we mean by popular? Most used? Yes, or the, by sales figures. Mozzarella. Mozzarella. Yes. Pizza. Because it's on pizza. Yes. Wow. Beth knows her cheeses. Well, yeah. we've got all month long. So, you know, so let's keep, keep celebrating. Fill keep those social media threads, people. <laughs> let's get to it. Oh. Well, Father Steve, what's one personal takeaway from this awesome conversation so far? Well, Beth, I loved the uh, virtues that you held up. And I think, you know, for me, thinking about uh, the willingness to speak about Jesus, how that's really in a category of justice. And that example you gave of uh, Penn, of Penn and Teller, um, that, that's really, really the most important thing I took on our, our need to kind of live virtues in a unique way for, for the times we're in right now. So how about you? Awesome. Yeah, I think for me, I love what you said about building our lives on the whole gospel. Boy, that's fantastic. Letting the gospel stretch us in all the ways that we need to be stretched, building our lives on the whole gospel. So I'm going to get back to work on that one. This has been the latest edition of the Encounter Grow Witness podcast, and we are grateful to all of our listeners for joining us today. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Encounter Grow Witness podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 